And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. Most of us are inclined to think of the animated cartoon as a modern invention, like the airplane or the automobile. But actually, the idea of imparting life and motion to still pictures is as ancient as man himself. But in our time, we've seen this dream come true. The animated drawing has matured and has taken its rightful place among the fine arts. This picture is from our Nutcracker Suite, one of the uh, musical numbers in our production, Fantasia. Art galleries all over the country exhibited many such setups from that production. People bought them as they would any other kind of painting. Yet consider this fact. This picture moved. It's true it only represents one frame of a motion picture film. But delicate and intricate though it is, it came to life. Buzz Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell, and I am flying solo, kind of. Uh, Langley is out sick. He's got, like, the creeping crud, I guess. He, I was talking to him on Facebook, and, and it it doesn't... He looks... He sounds sick. So, um, I'm here alone, but I'm not here alone, because I have a guest, returning guest, Matthew Sylvester. Welcome, hey, sir. great to be back. Yeah, yeah. He, he, Matthew was all part of the bigger plan of, of having people on as guests and then bringing them back for things that are either kind of related or not related at all to uh, what they're kind of known for. And we were talking about it, and we decided to look at the Disney animated film. It's been on our list for a while to do. Um, the question is though is that as you get later in this filmography you um you uh, uh you start running into things like Pixar and you start running into right. things, things like acquisitional things like Studio Ghibli that they pick right. up um and then you run also into just generic computer 2D animation and um that that muddies the water so a little bit yeah so i I kind of figured we were probably going to stick more along the lines of strict animation, but it's weird because you're right. Towards the end, uh, especially in the 2000s, Disney sort of dropped cell animation. Well, we'll get to it, but I think like there's 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 a point where where Disney um, the old formula wasn't working, and they needed to adapt and they needed to figure it out, and that's when I'm going to go off back up on my notes here. When you get around, sorry, um, Brother Bear and uh, Treasure Planet, and there's this Atlantis movie, uh, Atlantis the Lost Empire, um, uh, that's Disney trying to figure, catch another wave, trying to figure it out. Um, Right, yeah, and that was, that came after sort of uh, the Dark Ages, which I think was around the period right after Robin Hood kind of went into Fox and the Hound, the Black Cauldron. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, another, exactly that. Yeah, another yeah. dip. Uh, but anyway, so uh, I figured we just kind of go through these and either 
mention um, what they what they kind of mean and and um, uh, maybe contextualize them a little bit. I showed their first feature in 1937. It was a, a Academy Award review of Walt Disney cartoons. It sounds like a greatest hits. Right. Yeah. That was um, just I think before he, you know, they pitched like a full length feature. Mm-hmm. And that was the same. That was in released in May, and then in December was when Snow White comes out. Right. Um, uh, pretty much built Disney Studios. It was the people just loved it. Uh, it's a classic. It's beautiful. It's beautiful in that sort of Max Fleischer kind of. Stuff. Yeah, they. Go ahead. Yeah, they. Th- that was. It seemed like they really were experimenting with techniques and and different sorts of cell painting. Um, some beautiful. I think there was one in there. There's some gorgeous weather effects mm-hmm. that they had. Just unbelievable. Like every single raindrop hitting a roof or pretty pretty outstanding. It's amazing. There, I read in my notes that there's a there's a story of the woman that plays the witch. Um, she was trying to get the voice right, and it kept coming off too young. So um, she stepped out of the room and came back and did it again, and it was perfect. And they asked her, what'd she do? What'd she do? And she said, I took my teeth out. Oh. <laughs> That's great. I love, I love Snow White. Snow White, when I was a kid and I saw it, it scared the shit out of me. You know, the mm. just the idea that like, she wants her heart in a box. Like, what? Yeah. Very, very yes. frightening. <clears throat> really creepy. And, you know, and the witch, the one bug-eyed witch. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I, that struck me about that movie is as you're watching it, you could sometimes see the change in the, the cell animation and the color and sometimes even quick glimpses of sketch marks. Mm-hmm. In those early days, I think, I think Snow White was another one, and sometimes in Pinocchio. But I, I just love, I don't know, it's almost like you're seeing the underpainting of the, the finished product. Yeah, it's part of the charm. It's like the the roughness of it. It, it makes it it makes it what it is. Um, uh, yeah, and, and I can't imagine at the time, again, 1937... What audiences? Right. What audiences must have thought of this? Yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah, and you know, just things that you don't. Uh, I think I heard some of the early animators, the the nine old men who were some of the early people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they were talking about how they would run out of a batch of paint, and they had to mix it, and sometimes it wouldn't be close enough, or especially when I think World War Two started coming around. Sure. They had to really be innovative with color, and um, I think even actually in Snow White, they actually for some of the effects like her rosy cheeks, they used actual makeup on the cells. Wow, wow! And they said I read I read that uh, a lot of these early films, um, the cells are lost because when they would finish a production, they would take the cells into the hallway and strewn them across the hallway and they would run and jump on them and slide up and down like a slip and slide. Whoa. Yeah. And so all of those are gone. Yeah, all of them are gone forever. Because they didn't care. They didn't see any value in it. You know? 
Yeah, I just I read that during my notes. Um, Pinocchio came three years later in 1940. Um, right. Its release became problematic because it was again it was the run up to World War Two, and they found out um, again in my note taking they found out that uh, the actor who played Geppetto was a was a Nazi sympathizer, and he was continually when they were recording the audio. Talking about like you know this Hitler guy know what he's knows <laughs> what he's talking about. Oh, like, really, dude, dude? You're a drag to work around. You got to knock that off, you know. But and then when it was released, some of the you know the uh, the the journalists of the time had latched onto that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But wow, Pinocchio is is a fucked up movie. It's really just twisted. Um, I yeah, I mean it, it gets pretty darn dark. Uh, I remember being kind of scared a little bit, especially when he uh, when he goes to the uh, was it called the Isle of Pleasures? Yeah, Pleasure, Pleasure Island. Island. Pleasure yeah. Island is frightening, and, uh, and you it, know it's such a heavy-handed moral, t- you know, lesson as well. You know, do this, or you're going to turn into a donkey and die. <laughs> yeah, basically saying all young men are jackasses. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, you know, and then he gets eventually gets swallowed by a whale, which amazing animation, sure. just the the ocean effects. But the Mon- Monstro uh, was the was the whale's name, Monstro. Right, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It, and just absolutely creepy. Yeah, it was just frightening. The idea that you know, and, and that was the thing about Disney films is like you know. People died, like they, and for little kids. I mean, the, Disney supposedly worried about it when stories got dark, but right. like, people died. Bambi's yeah. mom is a moment in every kid's life where you Ugh. you realize that oh, this is for keeps. Um, or even yeah, the cruelty of adults. You know, like uh, like in Pinocchio, Stromboli. You right. know, he's got. I'm you know, do it or I'm going to chuck you in the fire. I, I just remembered being so scared of that guy. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And by and by the time you you along with Pinocchio learns that he's been betrayed and that you know he should have listened all along, it's it's horrible. <laughs> yeah, you know this poor he just wants to be a boy, but he's le- being led astray by all these different characters. Yeah, and like and, I uh, say, the the whole moral thing in it, the whole like life lesson thing it's so heavy handed it's to be like you know uh, uh, all too obvious um, yeah but amazing uh, let's see uh, Fantasia came next in uh, same year but in November so Fantasia is a masterpiece it is I mean the music's beautiful and the, I mean you there's part of me that wonders I don't know if this is true but if these guys are tripping on mushrooms a little bit or <laughs> because it 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 just has this it's almost like someone didn't think of it they dreamt it yeah, it's psychedelia 20 years earlier than the psychedelic movie. <laughs> good way to put it <laughs> you know cuz i yeah by the time we get to those mushrooms and everything and the 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 fly, the, the the whole sorcerer's apprentice thing yeah we're well into the world of surrealism Right. So, and then e- even the rite of spring, as light-hearted as it is, it's just mm-hmm. you know the, the dancing mushrooms, the flowers. It's almost like a you know '70s flower child's wet dream or something. Right. Right. 
Right, right, right. Lineley listed Fantasia as uh, a favorite Christmas film because for him it always it always uh, feels feels like a Christmas film. Oh, really? I even the uh, even the Night on Bald Mountain. With <laughs> yeah, well, it's like <laughs> which is which is visually stunning. Oh, I mean, it's there's not a single frame in Fantasia that is that isn't you know just top flight, especially when you consider the time. And there was no, there was none of that Hanna-Barbera shit where they were, you know, skipping frames and, and oh yeah, you know, so yeah, pretty amazing. Uh, let's see, October 1941, Dumbo. Um, oh boy. Reportedly, uh, one of Walt's favorite of his films. Um, these days, that the movie is problematic because of the crows. The crows. The crows. Yeah. Make it a little dicey. Not as and dicey I, as another film we're going to come to in a second. No, no, no. <laughs> but but I, but it did lead to some rumors that they thought you know Walt Disney was a bit racist. Well, there because are there I, are numerous reports that he was anti-Semitic. Right. Yeah. So if you there's a couple of bios of one of the nine, um, uh, or maybe several of the nine, and they talked about how how he was definitely a little anti-Semitic. So. I mean, the one thing, boy, there's that one part that really creeps me out in Dumbo is, you know, when elephant with clowns makeup, (laughs) you know, the tents on fire, he's got to jump. More psychedelia, you know. Just frightening as shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, there's, there's all that, like, I'm trying to fit in, I'm trying to make my way in the world, you know. And isn't, isn't there a part, too, where... Uh, what is it? Dumbo's buddy is Timothy, and is there's there's a part where like a bottle of champagne or alcohol gets knocked into, mm. and and they're basically uh, Dumbo and Timothy are becoming slightly drunk and start hallucinating. There we go. Yeah. Wow. I don't know if they're trying to chuck a lesson in there, but. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see. Bambi comes a year later. Uh, initially, uh, lost money on release, and um, there's only a thousand, one thousand words in the film, in the entire film. Oh, yeah. that's true. Yeah, and and frightening again because when when man when I just remember when Bambi die or Bambi's mom dies, it's just like you know. So, oh, by the way, spoiler. <laughs> but <Hey. laughs> but uh. uh Kids screaming in the theater and just, just feeling like oh, it's like old well, Geller. It starts with this, you know, beautiful moment of them feeding in the woods, this tranquility, and just how it's just sliced in two by the. Just as soon as she turns her head mm. and tells him to go, it's just oh, you can feel it. The dread just keeps getting heavier and heavier. Yeah, yeah. Supposedly, she says, I mean, there's a there's a line in the film where she they, they talk about man is in the forest. And I, yes. re- I read that that was a, also a euphemism when Walt was in the animation studios. It would, people would thought would be like, man is in the forest <laughs> to let him know that the boss is around. <laughs> right, and also being released, you know, during, you know, World War II kind of has a, you know, heavier. Right. Seems message seems a little bit heavier. Yeah. Well, you know, they got they jumped in with both feet in '43 with something called Victory Through Air Power, 
Oh yes, with, yeah, with, with well, getting getting involved in the war effort, right? And, yeah, it was their comical version of the Fuhrer. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird little film. Um, I'm skipping Saludos Amigos. I've never seen it. Um, it, was, it was in '42. Have you? It's it's uh, it's not the Three Caballeros. It's something else. Have you seen this? I have not seen this, but. I did when I was just doing a little bit more research. Um, I know I was Donald Duck in that one. I can't remember. Yeah, because that he's in the Three Caballeros. Right. I think that's the one I'm it, thinking of. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Whenever I think of those that that scenario, I always think of the, the Three Caballeros. Which and plus I oh I'm sorry, but plus I think it was like three or four different segments put together. Yeah, it was probably yeah, undoubtedly three shorts that they, they strung together. Disney did a lot of that. Especially in, in in during the dark time when they were still trying to make money off of you know, Pluto and Mickey and I remember back in the VHS days they had like collections, the Pluto connection and collection and it was all these shorts that had Pluto in it. Um, Three Caballeros was in '44. It was the last release of World War II, right? And of course, became. I mean, it was lifted liberally for the Three Amigos. <laughs> I was just going to say that, which you know, I put. You should watch those two back to back. I'm sure it'd be a fun night. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just not a Chevy Chase fan. So whenever I see Three Amigos, I just kind of go, yeah, I'm in for Martin Short, and I'm in for Steve yep. Martin, but I'm just kind of not there. It's like, um, what is it, Spies Like Us, the Ackroyd Chevy Chase movie, which is terrible. Anyway. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? Uh, yeah. 46, um, Song of the South, uh, all but five minutes of it contained music. Um, it won the first uh, an honorary Oscar for the. It was the first black man to win an honorary Oscar. Right, and I think the so the Zippity Doodah song won an Oscar. I thought did it really? I don't. I didn't see that, but that so, makes but... absolute sense. Um, it was pulled from release in 1986 because people realized that it's a <sighs> it's a little racist. <laughs> it's a yeah, little racist. It, it, it's the it's the language and. I mean, it's too bad because Uncle Remus, that character, is, you know, he, he's a very, uh, I think the whole plot synopsis was a young boy and his mom went out to the South because his parents were splitting up and he was angry and Uncle Remus was sort of his mentor and these tales were sort of what, these lessons he was trying to teach the boy. Sure. And, and, and sure enough, that's what they were, but, they, but in and of themselves, they're Racist. <laughs> Bro oh, Rabbit. Yeah. Bro Rabbit is fucking racist. There's just no yeah. choice about it. And then the whole depiction of it, which scared me, that you know, the depiction of the tar baby and oh sure, but I just, also feel like it's it's wholly indicative of a of a very specific time at a very specific right. place. So I think um, I think Disney should release it and just if if they contextualized it, I don't think they there'd be too much of a of a problem. Because everyone knows about it, right? Right, everybody does. And, you know, maybe maybe there would... I, I think people... It's like when you go back and watch things like old episodes of Archie Bunker or something. You do sort of go like, oh, wow, that's that's a little... That's a, that's a little racist, a little heavy-handed. So, so maybe, maybe there would be a little 
backlash. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful film for what it is. Integrating live action oh. and um, animation. Yeah, it's gorgeous, and the sets they made were beautiful, and it was, you know, uh, no. Yeah, it's a pity. Um, and then next up comes a bunch of uh, what I was talking about, those greatest hits packages. Right. Fun and Fancy Free, Melody Time, and then and even Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Right. So. Which I have, the Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, some of my favorites. That's um, so fun. It is fun. I just my favorite fun. ride too at Disneyland was Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. I still love that. Uh, yeah, I've never been to Disneyland, so. Oh really? It's sad. It's on my list. It's, it's changing list. now. It's it's all changing now. When by, and when they open Star Wars Land, which is coming, they're already building on, and they just announced oh, yeah. they're doing a superhero land as well. So. Yeah, I think we're gonna. My daughter and I are saying we're gonna hold out for Star Wars Land. So. Yeah, you gotta. If you're a fan, yeah. you gotta. Yeah. Um, supposedly, what well, sidebar and all this on the Star Wars thing when you check in um, at the uh, Disneyland Hotel um, under a certain package, they give you a um, costume, they give you uh, a a bat, like you're a traitor from this planet, and da 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 da, and you go to Disneyland and it's like LARPing, and I think it's such a smart idea. That's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Cinderella, 1950. Cinderella. Um, there's some nice motion stuff in there of her dancing and absolutely. Um, um go ahead. And, and I can't remember. Uh, I should have wrote this, down, but I think there was it was an actual uh, well-known dancer that they had taken a lot mm-hmm. of film footage of. They did a lot of rotoscoping. I was I was surprised at that, at how early that they started doing that. You know filming live action and then animating over the top of it. There was, um, and no, well, it's interesting too, because I think for a long time he kept live animals and things around. Um, Oh, I did write it down. Helene Stanley was her name, but she was, uh, she was a, I guess a well-known dancer at the time. Very cool. Um, Yeah. 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 So, but but yeah, they'd keep you know live animals. They had live modeling sessions for the animators. Um, they, and then when the rotoscoping came along, I think that it's just you see it in later Disney films where the the movement of people becomes less believable. And you go and look back at those old ones, you're just like, wow, that makes a bit, you know, it's kind of like watching, mm-hmm. uh, if you go back and even watch Fire and Ice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Where that rotus, it just actual observation well, there's, makes such a huge difference. Yeah, there's, there's like, I, always with Fire and Ice, you notice there, there's, dr- like when the person's running, there's drift. You don't write, no one runs in a straight line. There's drift because you're, Equilibrium changes as you move, and you know you you veer to one side, you veer to the other side. So yeah. So a year later, um, nineteen fifty one, Alice in Wonderland. It's I've never and it's it's sort of dawning on on me as we go through these, the attachment that Disney films have to surrealism, and and go like and Alice in Wonderland. It's nothing it, but it, surrealism. Yes. So, it, yeah, it never dawned on me. It's it's one of my uh, favorite movies just because of the the trippiness of it and mm-hmm. 
you know, characters like the Mad Hatter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the the Red Queen was, again, they're, they're able to do scary, but still... And to this day, I, I remember being at Disneyland and you know how they have those characters that roam through the park? Yes. Red Queen coming out, and it, it, it's no longer like, hey, let's get our picture taken. <laughs> All these kids are scampering and running running away from her, because she's, she's one of those Disney villains that are really scary. Yeah, you know, just big and boisterous and yeah. does terrible things. Though, you know, though as a side note, I really love uh, Helen Bonham Carter as she, when she played the Red Queen and Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I think that, the big head thing is really genius. It's awesome. Yeah. But anyway, but yeah, going back to this one, um, I still think, you know, Disney at this time was still sort of holding on to their... Oh, this is um, their prime. This is right. We're, yeah. this, we're still in the in the first sort of phase, to borrow from Marvel, uh, right. sort of the phase of what they were doing. Because no one else was doing it. Japan, I don't think, even at this point. Well, maybe in the 50s they had, they had, they had started animating things. Right. But, yeah. And, and I guess, too, it, it got a pretty good reception, but I think um, overseas, especially in Britain, I think they were kind of a little... You know, pissed off because the the, the story was so Americanized. Yeah, they yeah. said that's our thing, Lewis Carroll. That's our thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and which is too bad. I, yeah, yeah. you know, a lot of, a lot of people said that the character, you know, some of the characters had no warmth to them, and then it's just like, well, yeah, it's I don't know, it's like this giant dream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think well, it holds. But. Big a big uh, hallucinogen fan. Um, yeah, Lewis Carroll. Just saying. Also, a bit of a supposedly. You ever see out? There was a movie called Alice that implied that he was a pedophile. So no, no. Yeah, it's, it's actually Alice is, is actually quite good. Um, let's see, fifty three. Peter Pan. Yeah. Good stuff, Peter Pan. Um, fun as a young boy seeing Peter Pan. It's it's transformative right it's it's i want to be a lost boy <laughs> you know yeah i mean you're you know this land where there's no adults and you're you're left to your own vices and uh kind of gets a little tiny bit lord of the flies but not right doesn't, doesn't go too far into it and isn't it in a weird way isn't it like a a uh a multi multiverse of pleasure island Right. It, yeah, it's a working model point. of that. You know, it's a working model of that. Um, and I think it's interesting, too, because, you know, Peter Pan, the sort of little bit immature, loose and fancy free, all of a sudden he's become a parent, he ha or he has to watch mm -hmm. the kids almost. He has to look out for their best interest, even though Wendy is a pretty strong female character. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's definitely the mom. Yeah, but he's he. Th she's not the one fighting Captain Hook in the end, you know. It was like, right. But and it was all about that. That's all that story is about. Is about you know putting away childish things and becoming an adult and realizing that sometimes you have to put fun aside for the thing. You know, all that rich you know material. Exactly. Um, so let's see. A couple of years later, fifty-five. Get Lady in the Tramp. It was the first of their films shot in widescreen. Oh right, yeah. That, yeah, and I love Lady in the Tramp. Do you? I I do personally. I think 
it's because they really it's really tough to take you know animals and make them believable almost as people mm-hmm. and uh, I, I really enjoyed the animation and the just the characters you know the, the scruffy scoundrel you know sort of good looker and the uh, the rich uh, sort of was she a Pekingese uh, lady. She, lady was a Cocker Spaniel. Cocker Spaniel. And yeah. I think he was like a Scottish Terrier jock. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and the idea... This is right around the time that the animation wing starts to falter. Yes. This it, doesn't do as well as some of the others have done. Um, and we start to see the returns. They're still classics, and they're still considered... They they're still a part of that, you know, in the vault Disney stuff. Um, but it is you're starting to see that things are changing. What, what year is this? This is this is '59. So now you have the introduction of TV coming into play. Right, and that's that's a good point. Invading people's living rooms and mm-hmm. it became and more and more of why go to the movies when I could just watch, you know, this TV. Right, and I think this is also. You know, I think we're what I think we're about four years away from uh, the transition where the older have been teaching the newer, mm-hmm. and well, there's a changing of the guard, sort of. Well, it's right around this time, a Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, and um, that kind of thing, that so you, can, you you get the introduction of something that that you kind of it's it's kind of an elephant in the room, and that's. Robert and Richard Sherman, or also called the Boys, uh, the Shermans right. were responsible for every Disney song up until like mid '80s <laughs> that you could possibly right. imagine. There's a great documentary that you can you can find on Amazon or um, whatever uh, called The Boys, and it talks about their relationship. They were brothers. They worked together and produced this great music, but they hated each other, and they would work. Oh, they would work like. One would do some work on on their scores and stuff, and then the other, and he'd leave, and then because the other one would be coming in at one o'clock, and he'd come in and do his part of it, and then leave, and they never saw each other. They would work also. They had in their production facility. They would have they had offices on different floors and that kind of thing. It's a great documentary, and the music is amazing. It's amazing. Um, I'll have to check. That sounds great. Yeah, you can find it. It, it it's well worth. You know, hunting up. Uh, I know you can get it as a disc if you do discs off Netflix. Um, so 1959, beginning of 19, we begin 1959 with Sleeping Beauty. Um, it was in production for nearly a decade, um, and it was considered a flop. Right, which I, I still like it. I think. Well, I don't know. I. It, yeah, I don't. It's it, for me. For me, it's it's it really rests on the prince's fight with um, Maleficent. That okay? That's kind of what I was trying to. Yeah, it really you go for that. There's a lot of cool stuff in there, and any frame of that film with Maleficent is 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 awesome. It's fantastic. Yeah, Great yeah, yeah. villainous. But that but that. Fight on the mountain is so good. It's 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 Fantasia good, you know. 
Yeah, there's no there's no words. It's all mm-hmm. it's all just action and you know the giant briars and fighting the dragon mm-hmm. and um and even you know the the three fairy godmothers are fun. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's almost like uh, what am I trying to think of the later television show with B. Arthur and the oh, uh, Golden Girls. Golden Girls. Yeah, and in fact, this film is. The portrayal of Maleficent is so iconic that to, to for Angelina Jolie when they did that Maleficent film for her not to have the horns and do all that other stuff it would have been sacrilege and people would have hated it. Right. Um, um, so yeah, great. And they were Disney was always really good at villains doing the villains. They were always really good. And they were you know and they were still using that sort of live action reference. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think, I think also too. I remember reading about this was when some of the newer people coming in objected to this method. They sort of called it, you know, a bit of a crutch. You know, it's stifling the creativity where you sort of like it relies on the animator's own interpretation. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So I think that's when there started to be a little push and pull in the right. animation studios. Right. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like you know, it's always going to be there. You see the same thing now, practical or CG effects, and you know this. Yeah, you see it all the time. Uh, let's see. Uh, Sixty-one, one hundred one Dalmatians, highest anim- grosser uh, animated film of, no- of nineteen sixty-one. Um, Cruella Deville, based on the great Tallulah Bankhead. Ooh, great villainess. She's mean. a great villainess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just you know, she just the way she's just she's a storm. You know, she just powerhouses through everything. Uh-huh. Whenever she walks in or she comes into a scene, it's just you know thunder and lightning and crashing. And have you seen the live action ones? Uh, it was a long time ago. Glenn, uh, Glenn, Close. Glenn Close. Yeah, she, Glenn Close is great in it. But um, yeah, the I, I that's a perfect way. Kind of a Tasmanian devil. Kind of a character breezes into scenes and just destroys everything, and then breezes out. Yeah, and she literally looks like death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, all gone. <laughs> yeah, I've seen I've seen so many girls in goth clubs with that half black, half white hair. And you know, and also it was just uh, an interesting feat of animation because uh, I've heard I can't remember where it was I read, but just the animation uh, the having to overcome that hill of the scenes with hundreds of puppies mm-hmm. in yeah. one scene. I mean, that's... They said, in some of my notes, they said that um, wrangling the spots on the dogs yeah. was a nightmare. And yeah. there, there's some people that have gone back and I think have counted the spots on the, yeah, the main I read two that. dogs. Yeah, And they change. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> that's getting a little picky, but hey. Let's see. So uh, we reach a point now where it's another sort of milestone, and that's between the release of Sword in the Stone and the Jungle Book, Walt dies. Right. Um, Sword in the Stone, um, it has its moments. It's, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. I was was never a a favorite, favorite of mine. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I agree. They, again, it has its moments. Um, there's some good 
fun to be had with like Merlin and and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, not I agree, not a favorite. Um, I think if I had to interrupt now and say uh, favorite Disney animated, wow, think about that. Think about that. I don't know if I have one. Uh, Jungle Book King. A couple of notes on that. Um, King Louis originally was going to be Louis Armstrong, and then um, Louis Armstrong fell out, and Louis Prima stepped oh, wow. in. Um, there was all along there was plans for the Vultures to be voiced by the Beatles. The Beatles, yeah. And then um, uh, John Lennon put the nicks on that. The first of two films, this and the Aristocrats, that had uh, Phil Harris. Okay. And, and, um, and then Phil Harris, who was in, he's that that sort of smooth talking jazz bow like Baloo the, oh, the bear. Oh, right. He was an old school actor that um, uh, reportedly, you know, one of those hard drinking, hard smoking like John Wayne kind of not as tough as John Wayne, but ultimately he died of I think lung cancer, or cirrhosis of the liver or something. Oh wow. Um, go ahead. Um, no, well, th- this is this is one of my favorites too, just because uh, you know Shia Khan. Yeah, what a just an incredible sly villain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sort it, of a prototype for Scar in a weird way. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Uh-huh. Just very the. It's interesting how they sort of dive into how manipulative. Well, and then there's, well, there's can the, be. the snake too. The snake being, oh, yes. being so seductive, and and you know, um, uh, and the, the songs in Jungle Book are all there's not a lot of misfires. You know, they're fun. They're catchy. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember. I think it was was it George Burns or Burns or Bruns or I can't remember. Who did the instrumental? And I guess he was known, for, you know, known jazz musician. Hmm. Uh, I can't. I'm following up my mind. I know this is more. I know the songs and the songs were more of the Shermans. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, that Aristocrats was originally planned as a two-part TV movie. It was the last film of Maurice Chevalier. In fact, they they lured him out of retirement to do the the. This one I always get. <laughs> mixed up aristocrats for me it always gets mixed up with another animated film called Gay Paris that Robert uh, Goulet did um, it, it wasn't a Disney film but it was animated and it's great oh interesting oh yeah I, yeah, I don't know that yeah, one yeah look, look that up it, Gay Paris it was like a standard on on um, uh, like uh, t- one of those TV you know the afternoon movies and that kind of thing yeah and I think uh I guess we can talk about it a little bit, but uh, they they reuse. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about. Okay. I think when we get to. What? What uh, you brought it up? Go ahead. Well, uh, I think when we get to actually, it's coming up next. Robin Hood. Yes. Um, during this time, they were having you know money troubles. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would reuse a lot of cell animation and go over old shots you know they were reusing stuff from Snow White right. uh, 
Robin Hood used stuff from the Aristocats. The Aristocats used a few things from Snow White, and kind of an interesting right. that they did that to save a little little cash. Um, has a great cast. Um, yes, the, some of the songs are really really good. One of the songs uh, is had gained notoriety as the background for it, they sped it up all uh, the chipmunks, but for Hamster Dance. Hamster Dance. Remember Hamster Dance on the internet? It was like an old uh-huh. school funny little thing you did. Um, but they just took a song from Robin Hood and sped it up. Um, oh, I wonder which one that was. Uh, it's the... I'm not going to sing it for you. Look it up. Uh, okay. Uh, let's see. Um, then comes a Winnie the Pooh movie. Man, I, that was another one of those collections, probably to save money. Right, and I, I don't think it did well because apparently they those shorts were seen at a lot of the beginnings of other movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was, yeah, like Winnie the Pooh, House at Pooh Corner, right. something, another one, and wasn't well received, but I, I still like it. It's one, I yeah, it's been a Winnie got, the Pooh fan. Yeah. You buy into Pooh, or you don't. Uh, uh, I that It's my, that new movie coming out with Ewan McGregor, um, uh, where the, he he runs into it's he's the Christopher Robin and he runs into Pooh and it's so great because there's a moment of him looking into the camera and just going Pooh. Oh, I haven't I haven't seen that. Very funny. Think about that yet. Uh, same year, um, June. Uh, the Rescuers comes out. Uh, it almost led to a TV series in in '89. They were going to bring it back. Um, the VHS was the initial release of the VHS was pulled because someone went in and inserted <laughs> frames yes. of pornography. Right, and uh, it's the first Disney film to inspire a sequel because they did Rescuers Down Under a few years later. Right, which wasn't wasn't as good. No, but it those things kind of never work out that way. No, but this one was fun because you know it's. But they it was, but, go ahead. Well, you know, it was part, you know, a little bit part mystery. You know, I think it was what was it called, the Rescue Aid Society or something like that, mm-hmm. the Mouse Organization, and um, them sort of taking taking the orphan girl and befriending her. At, right. Time on her Disney stuff. Yeah. Orphans and all that stuff. Uh, let's see. Uh, Fox and the Hound is next. Uh, it was Jack Alberson's last film. He was Jack Alberson was a classic uh, character actor. He was the man in Chico and the Man. Um, production was halted. Oh, really? Production was halted for over a year um, because Don Bluth split off from Disney, opened his own studio, and took a bunch of their animators. So they had to yeah, stop was- animation. Yeah, that was sort of the big exodus. And I, yeah, he went on to do things like American Tale and mm-hmm. yeah, Secret like Indian. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, By the way, I want to insert here as sort of a sidebar. There's a guy. First of all, his name is Thurl Ravenscroft, and he's him and Paul Frees. Paul Frees is the guy, the voice of like, let's say, the uh, Disney's Haunted Mansion. But Thurl Ravenscroft is best known as the narrator of The Grinch, and he was also Tony the Tiger, and he was one of those huh. Disney staples. Uh, but yeah, his name was, I love the name, Thurl Ravenscroft. It's pretty funny. Huh, interesting. Uh, 
Uh, next up, 85, um, Black Cauldron. This dark stuff. Dark stuff. In many ways, kind of a uh, uh, Fantasia too. Yeah, just not. Yeah, not nothing really hopeful, or it, you you feel like you're being pulled through the muck through the whole film. Right. Agreed. 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 Um, um, there, there's, it has its moments. I mean, um, it is the first Disney film with no songs, and it's the first well, Disney, Disney film that employed CG animation. Right. That yeah. The uh, a lot of the you know the effects, the smoke and the mm-hmm. wispy. Um, and I think it was the first film too to get a PG rating. Yes. And they actually had, I think there's 10 minutes of stuff that had to be cut out. I think it was a part where you actually see um, the skeleton, I can't remember what they were called, but basically the wa- the dead, like, like hacks a guy in half. Oh, nice. Hacks his head up, yeah. But, uh, they, yeah, that's tough to sell for Disney. <laughs> yeah. So to get the PG rating, you know, they, they had to cut a bunch of it. Jesus. Um, I've only I only remember seeing it once, so I don't have great recall. Mm-hmm. But I remember there was a the young man's buddy was a pig, <laughs> and and there were some really disturbing moments where the pig was in peril and a lot of squealing and yeah, kind of creeping out a little bit. <laughs> well, let's so. see, uh, Great Mouse Detective in '86, notable because of its in price, um, right. I'm going to sidebar a little and say, mentioned um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, because um, that's kind of neither fish nor fowl. You know, it's not animated, it's not live action, it's kind of both. Right. Um, I didn't know that uh, Amy Irving did, did Jessica Rabbit's singing voice, and uh, Kathleen Turner did her voice regularly. Oh, I didn't know that either, but yeah. definitely... Pushing the boundaries of uh, moving into adult. Right. There's some very yeah. adult jokes in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh yeah, and then very there's. So. I don't know how many times you've seen people like different uh, animated cell scenes where, you know, you apparently they claim the artist threw in some a little bit of nudity or. Right. Well, I think they were working with so much stuff that it was easy yeah. to slip things in. Yeah, and the Disney artists were notorious for that, slipping in little things here or there. Uh, let's see, 88, Oliver and Company. Um, it was the last animated film to use line overlay, and the dog dance scene was choreographed by Bob Fosse. Oh, really? Yeah, that was kind of cool. Oh, wow. I mean... Interesting idea. It was, you know, it was obviously based on all of the twist. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of a fun idea. I again, I only saw that once. Yeah, so I don't have. I check out right around here. I check out. I check back in a little bit because my kids were young, but then I, I check out pretty strongly at some point with a lot of this stuff. Um, and this is one of them. Yeah. You know, I I just kind of yeah. didn't care. Yeah, and. Again, you know, uh, 88, you know, in the 80s, what it was competing with for people's, you know. Star Wars had already come out. You know, Back to the Future had already happened. 
all the action movies, uh, computer animation was starting to come into play. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it was tough to sell an animated movie back then. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, the, and at this point, though, you get Mencken and the other guy that are bringing in, bringing the heat for Little Mermaid and, you know, the guys right. that are writing this. They, 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 him and his partner, I forget the other partner's name, but um, they, take oh, which, they take over for the, for the Shermans about writing songs. The, the guy that wrote, the, the, the pair that wrote the songs for Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. Oh, interesting. You know, all those, that stuff. They kind of took over for that. And, and then they and, went on to Broadway and stuff like that. Go ahead. Oh, and I think this too was also when um, I forgot to mention, but during around the Black Cauldron era, when some of the new animators came in, Tim Burton was yeah, okay. uh, he was storyboard artist. He animated, and I think I believe he left after Oliver and Company, kind of heading out to do his own thing. That would make sense, absolutely, absolutely. That would be around yeah eighty eight, so that would yep. make absolute sense. Um, Mer Little Mermaid, uh, last animated film to use hand painted cells, and uh, Ursula was based. I always thought it was based on Pat Carroll, who did the voice, uh, but it wasn't. Uh, she was based on Divine, the John Waters icon. Oh, really? Well, that makes total sense. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. Uh, Beauty and the Beast in '91. I got not a lot to say about Beauty and the Beast. Um, my that's one of my daughter's favorites. Um, and when she was younger, we rewatched it, and I think it was at least a good blending of traditional and computer animated. Agreed. The dance um, sequence is iconic. It's it's beautiful, and um, but again, you know, for me, when this came out, I wasn't focused in any way on Disney. So right, right. Uh, let's see. DuckTales, Beauty and the Beast, we talked about that. Aladdin yes. Happens. Um, Robin <clears throat> yeah. Williams did most of his part of the Genius Improv. Supposedly there are hours of audio footage that they would, they'll never release because it's not safe for work, but it's Robin Williams just fucking around. Um, the, opening, the opening scene when, um, you know, Welcome to Whatever, the, the shopkeeper... He, they would just they put it was like Jonathan Winters. They would put a table yep. in front of him, covered, and they would just pull the cover back, and he would just pick up things and improvise with them, and they just recorded it. And a lot of it was really not safe for work. Right, and then of course, and th that's one of the. I think that's the only thing I like about the film. Mm-hmm. Oh, that movie Honest, doesn't. To be honest, that movie doesn't work without Robin Williams, and right. we'll and we'll and we'll see that when we see this new Guy Ritchie live action thing that they're doing. Right. And then you I think you had uh Gilbert Gottfried was the foul mouth parrot, which yeah. was kind of funny. Initially so. it was flipped where Jafar was going to be erratic and the parrot was going to talk him down, but um they flipped it. Patrick Stewart supposedly was in in line for Jafar and they changed their mind or he Oh really? That happens a lot. I have it again and again in these upcoming films that Pat, they wanted Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen and they couldn't get him. Um, sidebar, this is also about the time 93 Nightmare Before Christmas comes out. Um, 94, I'm kind of sidebarring that one and, and I'm also sure. going to sidebar James and the Giant Peach in 96 because it's, it's stop motion and it's not what right. we're talking about. We talked about Beauty and the Beast already. Um, Lion King, 
the will um, came out in '94. Um, the Wildebeest Stampede took three years to animate. It, it's insane. I mean, when they just come pouring over that cliff, mm-hmm. and yeah. that's a and that's another one of those Disney like gotcha with reality moments, you know, where Scar. Oh yeah. Uh, it's Shakespearean in, in, <sighs> on steroids, all of it, you know. Great way to put it. Yeah. Um, and, of course, you know, there's a lot of memorable music that people like. And personally, I think it was the sort of when, for me, Elton John took a bad turn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, you know, they're doing this live action now of it. It'll be out in the next couple of years. Uh, so another one in '95 uh, that pe- a lot of people don't talk about, but a Goofy movie. Goofy movie is great, <laughs> and no one ever sings its praises. But it's actually a solid Disney film. And I actually like it. I like. I've always liked Goofy, and of course, he's had his shorts over the years. But it's just the lesson of he's good-hearted, and he just he sort of he just bumbles through life. Agreed. Agreed. And it works. Absolutely. And it works. Let's see. Uh, Ninety-five. Pocahontas, um, first yep. film where we, we where someone asks that Mel Gibson sings. Um, interestingly enough, the character of Grandmother Willow was initially supposed to be a character called Old Man River, and they they had cast Gregory Peck, but then they decided oh, really? then then they decided that the Pocahontas needed a motherly character and not. Yeah, and so they went with something different. That would have been wild. Yeah, and I think I heard too. Uh, Christian Bale was. Is he in that? Was it? I think he was. I think he was Thomas. He was like the friend of John Smith. Wow. I mean. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yep. Uh, yep. So that, that's kind of interesting. A little. That's hilarious. Um, let's see. Ninety-six. Hunchback in Notre Dame. I've never seen this. I've seen. Oh, pieces you haven't? Of, yeah, I've seen pieces. And it, it's be- it looks beautiful. Once again, for for Frollo, Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, and uh, Derek Jacoby were were in line, and then they went someplace else. Wow. Go ahead. No, that that's pretty that's pretty wild. I mean, yeah, it's another one of those um, kind of some scary stuff. Uh, yeah. Where, was it uh, was it Frollo that basically you know he kills uh, Quasimodo's mom, and he's about ready to. You know, Chuck Quasimodo in the well, and he's basically, um, he, yeah, he tries to he tries to kill it in the cathedral's well, but uh, a deacon or somebody interferes, accuses him of murdering this innocent woman. So to atone for his sins, he basically takes him on as his child, calling him Quasimodo, and chucks him in a bell tower. Mm. Just terrible. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, again, it has its moments. There's lots of spiral camera work and that kind of stuff. But, yeah, yeah, I probably should. This is where I check out pretty solidly. The next half a dozen films I don't think I've ever seen. Um, Yeah, I sort of checked in a little bit, uh, but uh, it was mainly because of, uh, you know, Having my daughter. Sure. I mean, that's what happens oh. with, with you check out, you check in as you have kids and grandkids and what have you. Uh, 97. You, go ahead. 
Oh no, yeah, and yeah, basically going back and we will. Oh, remember? Let's go see. Right, right. You're, but anyway, ninety-seven. Ninety-seven. Hercules, um, starring James Woods. Uh, right. Just kind of couldn't care about this one. Uh, I like the character design on some of it, but um, wasn't a fan. Yeah, it, it was. It was fun. You know, you had Danny uh, DeVito, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, James Woods. Uh, Rip Torn, I think, was in it too. Right. As one of, as one of the gargoyles. Mm-hmm. Um, well animated. You know, I think it was fun just because of the the storyline of the Odyssey. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, Mulan is next in '98. It was Disney's first ever DVD, um, and that led them to cycling, cycling. Brilliant idea. Cycling their films in and out of the vault. Um, right. So smart. Get people end up buying the same thing more than once because you change the cover. Right. Um, and another one of my daughter's favorite. I like it because some of the, you know, they. Um, all the scenery in the backgrounds were basically they were sent to study, you know, Japanese ink painting, mm-hmm. and they wanted the backgrounds to sort of reflect that. Um, Mulan is a great. I mean, make it not animated, and it's still a great film. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think absolutely. Uh, we're gonna kind of jump over a Bug's Life because that's Pixar. Right. Tar- Tarzan is next. Go Fig. They wanted Patrick Stewart or Ian McKellen to play Clayton. Um, this has the mu- the music of Phil Collins, um, which who asked for this? Who asked for Rosie O'Donnell? Supposedly Rosie O'Donnell, that character uh, was what is it, Turk or whatever the fuck they called it? Uh, right, was a man, and um, she came in as a wild card uh, audition, and they liked what she did, so they. They switched it, saying, "Well, best friends can doesn't have to be the same sex. They can be opposite sex, right?" Oh, interesting. So that was the spin they took. There's parts. Talk about movement. The movement in Tarzan is really cool. It's really amazing. They did a lot of, you know, the study a lot of gorillas and, mm-hmm. um, and it was fun. I think the mini driver was Jane, and I think you had Glenn Close was a voice of Tarzan's mother, adoptive yeah. mother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, and of course the uh, the just the sort of violence of the end, you know, that uh, who's the was it Nigel Hawthorne or I can't remember was it Nigel? Yeah, who's the whoever the protagonist was? Um, I think it was he meets his end. He and Tarzan are fighting, and oh, it's a horrible ending. He cuts, you know, he's cutting at the vines except for one that's wrapped around his neck. And I, I remember the scene where it's just like, boom! You see, you know, see the feet dangling and it's horrible. Yeah, it's really it's horrible. It's like Jesus, Disney. Jeez, give me a break. Um, yeah. Uh, coming, there's a couple of other things that happen through here. Uh, Doug's first movie, Fantasia 2000. Right. Tigger movie, Dinosaur. Uh, yeah. Um, 2000, we get Emperor's New Groove, which originally was going to be called Kingdom of the Sun, um, with huh. songs by Sting. <laughs> which, not one of my, I, I like Sting personally, it wasn't one of my yeah, I favorite things. saw it once, and it, you, if you asked me any much about it, I know that it had David Spade in it, and that was about it. Right, and um, it also had uh, John Goodman and uh, Eartha Kitt. Yeah, it. there you go. 
So it may, it was it was fun. It was more of a comedy than anything. And right around here, we start again. You start Pixar starts pushing <laughs> against everybody and making more and more room. You got Monsters uh, Inc. coming out, right? Um, Twenty uh, two thousand two Lilo and Stitch, and I don't think I've ever seen Lilo and Stitch either. That that was fun. It wasn't anything that resonated with me mm-hmm. personally. Um, I think I think before Lilo and Stitch, you had Atlantis: The Lost Empire, which was right. kind of cool. Yeah, it's it's kind of like that tight. I always lump that movie in with like Titan A. You know. Yeah, and it, it you know it had the voices of like I think it was Michael J. Fox, uh, Leonard Nimoy was in it. Right. The um, um, and. The Atlantean language was created by a guy named Mark Ockrand, who also created Vulcan and Klingon. Oh, interesting. That's fun. And I think it also, the uh, one, the animation is pretty detailed, you know, the, the design work of mm-hmm. the ships and the, but I remember there was this one panoramic panning scene that they do and it was like some incredible and it was like 18 feet long or something when they were done, this long painted background for a panning scene. Yeah. So another uh, another one of those sort of uh, benchmarks. And uh, I think also, if, if I heard correctly, wasn't Joss Whedon a writer? That I don't know. Involved in the film? Yeah, that I don't know. That would make sense. I don't know. But it's around it's around the same time. So yeah. let's see. Um, another uh, things that uh, you know I don't even know about. I I don't know. I didn't even know there was a Jungle Book two. Sounds like a directed video. Yeah, it wasn't good. Piglet's big movie, same thing. In O three, yeah. we get Finding Nemo. Um, right. But that's Pixar, so we're gonna skip right. that. O uh, three, we get Brother Bear. It's the third and final film uh, made at the Orlando Animation Studios. Features uh, the brothers Mackenzie as Moose. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. I almost forgot. And I, and he, yeah, that's right. Root. One, I don't remember the name of the other one, but. And and again, this is the time when you're you're you'll start to see that the animated films start to pale compared to the computer ones, um, the, all the Pixar stuff. Uh, Home on the Range came out in 04, but then The Incredibles came out that same year. Which kind of killed Home on the Range. Absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, they were banking on Roseanne Barr. Mm-hmm. You know, and Judy Dench, I think, was in it. And, uh, I think Randy Quaid, maybe. Yeah. And it, yeah, and at this point, it's mostly direct-to-video claptrap, like Pooh's Heffalump movie, um, uh, Chicken Little um, finally, they cast Patrick Stewart. <laughs> um, Bambi Two, The Wild. You know, mm, I don't know no. what that was. All the biggies under their filmography from like at this point, Cars, Ratatouille, right. Wall-E. This is all Pixar. Yeah. Uh, Bolt in a Bolt. way. I have a fondness for that one personally. Really, I've never seen it. Is it good? It's fun. Yeah, I like it. That's cool. Yeah, um, um, but then go ahead. I was going to say, and then after Bull, I think we're moving towards it was pretty much one of their last animated. Well, was it their last animated, The Princess and the Frog? Uh, not quite, but it's pretty close. 
Very cool. I liked Princess and the Frog because it, it provided us with our first black Disney princess. It provided us with an American setting that was still foreign and alien. Yep. So, yeah, I'm in. I was always in. And, and the songs were so much fun. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. get a lot of love. You know, I don't know why. we. Uh, that's yeah. one we watched over uh, quite a few times, actually. Uh, let's see. More, more video fodder. Tinkerbell and the Lost Treasure. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, Toy Story 3 comes out. Something called... Oh, that's Studio Ghibli, so we're not going to use that. Tangled yeah. in yep. 2010. Um, which was okay. Very computer animated, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Cars 2... Brave is Pixar. Uh, Wreck-It Ralph animated. Yep. Interesting couple things. Released 75 years to the day of the first uh, ever Disney animated film. Oh, and, interesting. Um, when you're playing on the machine in Wreck-It Ralph, the high score is 120501, and that's Walt Disney's birthday. Oh, interesting. Kind of one of those little... <clears throat> didn't they? Didn't they also in some of the movies? They, it was zero one one three. Yeah, was thrown in like which was the studio where I think animators first started. Yeah, the yeah studio yeah, yeah, number. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of that, like stuff. that A friend of mine oh, has yeah. a whole theory about the number twenty two. Like in oh really? In the Universal logo, there is uh, twenty two star, uh, twenty two stars in the arc over the mountain. Oh, interesting. And whenever people go, when they need a number, it's one of those numbers people grab. Uh, let's see. More Pixar. Um, Monsters University, Planes, and then we yeah. hit Frozen. Yep. Uh, highest grossing animated musical of all time, ninth highest grosser of all time. I can see it. I mean, it's definitely pretty user-friendly across a wide range. I've never seen it because I really... Everyone was like, I really hate that Let It Go song. And I thought, well, that's enough for me. Yeah. Just because you hear it too much. Um, sure. And, you know, another princess movie. Uh, comedy Relief by Olaf the Snowman. Mm-hmm. Which makes it worth it, I guess. And in good computer animation, they were finally getting... Things weren't looking as... Uh, had a little bit more natural. They were using, learned to use things like, fo- uh, you know, lens focus, and so everything didn't look so bulky mm-hmm. and heavy. Yeah, and it so mo- it's, it's more and more of it moving realistically and not right. letting you, ma- which makes that jump easier to to like suspend the dis- your disbelief or what have you. Right. Um, let's see. I've got. That's, see that Studio Ghibli too. We're we're almost out of this stuff. Big Hero yeah. Six um, was in fourteen from Walt Disney Animation Studios. That was really se- good. Is it? I've never seen it. It it's fun because it's interesting that it sort of has a Japanese base to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I it's I really liked it. It was a little you know a little uh, intense in some parts, but. You know the they do so much of that man. Look at the ending yeah. of Toy Story three. Oh, Jesus, that's, that's frightening, man. That's frightening for anybody. That's I'm. Uh, uh, let's see. Moving along, T- uh, Tinker Bell and the Legend of the Never Beast. Inside Out is Pixar. Uh, oh yeah, yep. Zootopia in six oh uh, twenty sixteen. That was kind of good. 
Yeah, they just took it off. I was bummed. It was on my queue forever, and they just took it off a of Netflix stream. Oh, no, yeah, that, it's worth a watch. Um, Finding Dory is a Get More Pixar. Moana is an animation yep. studios in 16. Um, Saw, I've seen scenes of it, and it's on Netflix as well. You can you can stream it off Netflix. Yeah, we saw the whole thing. wasn't <clears throat> wasn't bad. It was interesting just to see a different culture, right? You right. use and you got The Rock. What else can you want? The Rock sings. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see, and then finally it rounds it up with Cars Three, which is Pixar, Coco, yeah. which is Pixar. Coming yeah. up, they most of this look is looking. It's I, what I have is split fifty fifty. Incredibles Two, which looks great. Yeah, loved Incredibles. Yeah, I did too. Best Fantastic Four movie ever made. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, true. Um, there have been some trailers for Ralph Breaks the Internet, Wreck-It Ralph 2, which... Yeah, well, yeah. Could... Yeah, we'll see, you know. It's like, it's tough. Well, to I think it's... People. It's trying to be hip, you know. It's trying to be like, look, we're on the Internet. Um... Uh, but Wreck-It Ralph, there's a lot of really good, solid inside joke stuff. So, especially if you're that you know, '80s generation of computer video games, and you kind of right, 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 mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. We um, Toy Story Four, of course, because you never let a good franchise lay still for too long. Mm-hmm. And uh, Frozen Two, which supposedly they're saying that Elsa's gonna have a an open relationship with a girlfriend. Oh, interesting. That's, they're taking a, a bold leap. That's good for them. There are also already getting hate mail. <laughs> so, so go pick. So, uh, to wind this up, I guess, I mean, it's hard to, I mean, the, the, my go-to question is usually like, are you a fan? And I don't think, Disney doesn't give you the option Right, because it's so ubiquitous with growing up. Right. Um, I mean, it, you get I, I mean, you get shown this stuff whether you want to or not. No, it's true, and you know, I, my parents took us to the matinees and the drive-ins, and <clears throat> yeah. it was a. I remember as a young kid, you know, I had Disney books, and I would sit down and draw Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, and you know. All that Carl I think Banks that, stuff. <clears throat> oh, yeah. you know, I think that was one of my top four jobs as a kid. Worked for Disney, you know, char- worked for Charles Schultz. There you go. Worked for George Lucas. Um, so for me, it, it has that personal attachment of just, you know, being sort of like a home tutor for understanding, you know, line and form. And, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, and it, it was everywhere. Yeah, you can't you can't get it, get away from it. You just you know you can't. It's it's one of the milestones, those check marks that everyone um, either has on their little bucket list or has checked off on their bucket list, and that's going to Disneyland. Right, yeah. and it's just and it's also their relentless, uh, you know, franchising and marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just you know, toys. Uh, remember when Beanie Babies? Like, ooh, you have a Disney Beanie oh. Baby. You're you walk into the Disney store in the mall, and you're just like, what the hell? Who needs half of this shit? But there are people buying it. You know, absolutely. Uh, people, yeah, yeah. So, I think that's about that. About covers. What are What are you up to, man? Me, I'm. Um, I've been. Just sort of working on my some of my own stuff, 
Um, I got the shameless plug, but the Green Mountain Comic Con coming up uh, nice. Nice. on April 15th here in Vermont. So I've been just doing some personal pieces and getting ready for that. And they're always great. Um, Jason Moulton, who runs these conventions, you know, he it's one of the I go to these conventions because artists are treated really well and you know there's definitely a, a family atmosphere um, they're not overrun with where the you know uh, celebrities are the focus right of the right. event and artists get an equal thing so I've been I'm looking forward to those coming up and some uh, commissions to work on so it's good I feel like I'm just doing what busy. I want yeah. it's good to be busy yeah, not, not overwhelmed, is. but it is good to be busy. All right, and uh, con- and congratulations on filming. Uh, uh, filming, finishing. No flesh shall be spared. Two. Yeah, yeah. I just I finished love that. that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Langley, man, the the cover art is the shit, right? Oh, he he nailed that. Yeah, it's so good. That's I've been that's I've been sitting on that thing for two years, almost two years now. It's just I've had it in my hand, and uh, I was. Uh, um, uh, I wanted to share it, but I wanted that I I needed to hold it back for for a cover. So, because I think right. it deserves a cover. It's so beautiful. And when you when you blow up, you can people go to my um, Facebook page. It's it's on there. Um, when you blow up the image and you start seeing the line work and the, it's all pointillism and it's he's it's a he does amazing work. So yeah, oh, very, yeah so very excited about that. Yeah, it, it, yeah, and good for you for using like a traditional hand-done cover, you know, that's... I love that. Well, I like that more than all that CG stuff, you know. I really love the, you know, my like, I, I love the old 60s, 70s paperback. Yeah. Know, I want people, when they read some of this stuff, to feel a little dirty when they're looking through it, so... Um, nice. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. I, I still have another month or so to go take it through the editing process, but we're good. Uh, oh, great. All right, buddy. Well, that's that's your second. We'll get you back for a third. Yeah, any any time. You know, I'll I'll talk about anything. Give me your website one more time, and um, so people can come find you in your work. Yeah, people can uh, check me out my website at matthewsylvesterart.com. Mm. All one long word. Um, you can always hit me up on Facebook or uh, into, in, uh, Instagram. Excuse me. <laughs> um, you know, to see just what's going on in the studio. Right on, right on. Well, right on, now we're, I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to try something solo. So we're going to see how we, we, we go with that, some new stuff. So uh, thanks again, man. Um, we will be back in just a second. Thank you. 
So we're back. Uh, this is going to be a little weird because I'm doing this kind of solo, but we're going to go through some news and stuff. Um, let's start here. Spielberg says in a recent interview that um, Netflix movies are by default not... Uh, they're by default, they're TV movies. And therefore, they shouldn't be able to be in consideration for Academy Awards. Like, Mudbound was this year. It was a Netflix film, and then uh, uh, Mary J. Blige was uh, nominated for Best Supporting Actress. So what his argument is, is that since they're not playing... These movies aren't playing in a theater. They're not theatrical releases, since they're, so therefore... Uh, they um, shouldn't be considered for Oscars. Uh, sounds a little like uh, sour grapes to me, and the realization that um, the Netflix is the future. It's it's what streaming, um, what streaming is going to get us is you know the lack of the pain in the ass sort of factor of going into movie theaters and paying high prices for snacks and all the people and the boorish phones and all that other shit. So. Uh, I think that's where people are going to go more and more um, unless theaters can uh, turn it around and make going to a movie an experience again and make it really great. I mean, the four the 4D places like in L.A. that have with it snows in the theater or whatever, it's very cool, um, but I just think it's kind of gimmicky and I don't think ultimately it's going to bring people back. I think what's going to bring people back to the movie theaters is... Um, them uh, engaging the audience and making it more of a group thing where going to the movies in a group is great. First time I saw Lethal Weapon in a theater when it first came out, it was awesome because the crowd was super into it. So, um, But this, I think, is Spielberg just you know, realizing that by diluting the, the, the field, it'll be easier to win awards, I guess. Um, let's see, moving on. Javier Bardem, speaking of Spielberg, has been cast... Javier Bardem has been cast in a Spielberg-produced miniseries about the relationship between Cortez and Montezuma for Amazon. This is a project that's been around forever. I mean, to, uh, uh, the script was written by Dalton Trumbo, if you know Trumbo. So, it's been around forever, and um, they're finally getting around to doing it um, at uh, Amazon. The thing I hope for is that they're historically accurate and that they um, uh, 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 portray Cortez as um, kind of the shithead that he really was. Uh, let's see. Ready Player One's writer Zach Penn is going to write a film for Hasbro Paramount based on the Rom Space Knight comic. Uh, Rom Space Knight, it's a great comic and not a lot of people ever give it the respect and the love that it deserves but uh, it was a favorite of mine back in the day and uh, I'm happy to see if they're going to do anything let's do Rom Space Size Let, let's do Moon Knight they keep dancing around Moon Knight is another one that um, they've been talking about uh, Gina Rodriguez who is in Jane the Virgin and she's in um, uh, Annihilation in theaters now was has been cast in Netflix's Carmen Sandiego so that's cool. You knew they were going to do that. They've been talking about doing that for a while, and here it is. Um, FX dropped. There was a. They were going to do a Deadpool animated series that Danny Glover was working on, and uh, FX just dropped it. And Danny Glover's pretty pissed about it, I guess, and he's posting online the the script for it, which includes, I guess, a lot of really 
you know, snarky stuff that he was talking about about the with the, about FX and about Deadpool. So um, that's too bad. That is too bad. Uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago about John Cena being cast as Duke Nukem. That's been confirmed. So you know, sure, they've been talking about a Duke Nukem film for a decade at least, and um, uh, casting John Cena is kind of gimme, a gimme. It gives him a superhero franchise, so he's appeased there, and he's going to make lots of money. And um, um, it kind of he's been working so hard to be portrayed as a nice guy with a you know as the dad or as the goofy love interest in the Amy Schumer movie, but. Um, this is him being trying to be a badass and being a gruff talking badass. So, you know, I wonder if he, uh, if it's so if it's too far away from what his real personality is. I mean, I know it's acting, but um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Frank Miller, uh, the famous Frank Miller, and and Tom Wheeler are doing a book called Cursed. Uh, it's a graphic novel that's coming out. Um, it's uh, already been picked up by Netflix for ten episodes, but here's the thing: it's a it's another telling of King Arthur. Now, the fact that Frank Miller is involved, maybe that's that's the saving grace. You know, we're going to get Dark Knight meets King Arthur, which I guess could work. But the point being is that they it's another fucking King Arthur, and I just don't know that we need to keep going back to that well because every time we go it yields less and less, you know, um, salient water. So, I don't know. Uh, Bloomhouse snags Damon Lindehoff's new script, The Hunt. Um, Damon Lindehoff, screenwriter, lots of, lots of credits to his name. Look him up. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's cool. Sure. Bloomhouse is killing it. They're, they're booking lots of films. They're, most of them do okay at the box office. They seem to have a workable model. So, sure. Um, there's going to be a... Speaking of graphic novels, there's going to be a human centipede graphic novel. So, <laughs> there's, the, there's that. Um, Tom Hardy is doing an, a biopic of Al Capone. That's the good news. The bad news is it's being directed by Josh Trank, who directed the Fantastic Four film in Chronicle. Um... Tom Hardy seems to be supposedly in a lot of movies, and I don't see many coming out. So, hopefully, this will. Uh, Al Capone, sure. I'm. I mean, it's violent. It kind of fits into Tom Hardy's wood uh, wheelhouse because he's been playing nothing but British gangsters on the BBC forever since Hollywood found him. So, sure. Um, Evangeline Lilly is going back to the island. Like she, you know, she was in Lost uh, for a film called The Beast. Sounds like woman is shipwrecked on an island, and um, uh, the island she's shipwrecked on, there's an animal on it, and um, I don't know, King of the Hill, I guess, ensues. Mm. Uh, I coming to Broadway as a musical. Uh, I don't know who asked for this, but Beetlejuice. So I guess. Sure. I mean, you've already got songs, at least two songs I can think of, built in. So, um, but yeah, they, they keep trying to do stuff with that. I mean, there's still talk of Beetlejuice too, and they, they keep trying to make it a thing, and then nothing ever comes out. So, we'll see. A uh, new film coming out called Boss Level, directed by Joe Carnahan. If you know Joe Carnahan, he, uh, 
is it Smoking Aces that he did? I'm drawing a blank. Um, anyway, he has a new film coming out. Uh, Frank Grillo. Uh, listen to this cast. Frank Grillo, Mel Gibson, Naomi Watts, and Will Sasso. About a cop t uh, caught in a time loop as he tries to solve his own murder. So, like what? Looper? And maybe DOA? The, the Dennis Quaid in the old 50s noir thing DOA? I don't know. Um, Joe Carnahan makes me interested because uh, he he does action well. I I really love a lot of what he he does. So moving on, they Fox pushed New Mutants back six months for reshoots and add another character. That tells me that Fox is worried about test screenings of initial episodes or, or the the initial you know landing of this franchise. Uh, if they're doing reshoots and pushing everything back six months, that had to be a mess. Or they've decided by adding this other character, this other character is going to save save it. So maybe, maybe. Um, anyway, that that shit's in trouble. Just like um, Andy Muschietti, who did an adaptation of um, Stephen King's It was doing an adaptation of Joe Hill's Lock and Key for Hulu and Hulu just dropped it. So, you know, maybe maybe Amazon will pick it up, maybe something like I don't know, ABC Family or, or something. Um but it's lock and key, so maybe not. Uh let's see. Fantastic Four is returning to the comics. That was a big deal, I guess. They killed them off a while ago and now they're bringing them back cuz it's comics. Um, and you never leave a good franchise laying on the sideboard for too long. Um, let's see. James Wan and Roy Lee, who who worked on It, are looking to adapt Stephen King's Tommyknockers. Which, in this day of everyone rebooting out of the King franchises, sure. That makes... that I mean, sure. James Wan doing it doesn't make sense. Um, uh, but, you know, it fit, I guess it fits. So, so there's that. Uh... Craig, Greg Nicotero is talking about um, one of the key things in the Walking Dead comic is there's a part that takes place um, in a frozen um, area like northern Canada um, and he he thinks that a Walking Dead offshoot like a, another series like Fear the Walking Dead if they're going to do them of which we've talked about before supposedly there's five of them in the pipe um but he wants to do one set in a frozen wasteland, and I think, sure, anything you can do to... Uh, I, I strongly stand by the um, the validity of the zombie subgenre. I think it's it's still... There's still fruit there to be picked, um, and anything you can do to shake it up and to give me a new spin on things, um, I, uh, I, I'm into... I'm totally into that. Uh, Scarlett Johansson signed on to Taika Waititi, who did Thor Ragnarok. Uh, his new movie, Jojo Rabbit, it's a um, it's a set it's a set in um, World War II Germany, where uh, a woman tries to hide some people who are Jewish from the Nazis. Uh, Taika Waititi being involved, I wonder how that's going to be a comedy, or is it going to be a comedy, or is this his, his try at a straight straight film? Um, Emily Blunt in a recent interview said that the Edge of Tomorrow 2 script is being rewritten. 
um, they've been they've been trying to do that forever. It keeps getting picked up and then dropped and then rewritten and then moved around and then so hopefully they'll be able to pull that together. Um, two days ago at the recording of this, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger went in for emergency open heart surgery, um, which you know Arnold has had trouble with his heart before because uh, you know well steroids, but. Uh, uh, he's in and reportedly when he came out of anesthesia his first words were I'm back <laughs> which uh, you gotta kind of love um, let's see Colin Trevorrow was going to direct Jurassic World 3 um, other news there's going to be a Jurassic World 3 <laughs> so there's that um, the Rocks movie Rampage is coming out in a couple of weeks and uh, Uwe Boll in an interview is mad <laughs> because, well, he has this series of films about um, a guy that dressed up in body armor and gets heavily armed and shoots up his town because he's mad. So he's mad because his film is called Rampage and this Rocks movie, the Rocks movie is called Rampage. Um, even though the video game Rampage predates um, Uwe Boll's <laughs> But it's just petty, and it's funny, because it's Uwe Boll. Um, film coming out called Revenge. Nicholas Winding Refn is involved. Um, it's been described as, I spit on your grave meets very bad things. So, um, I, I don't know what that means. Is it a rape-revenge film? Is it, a, is, it this, is it an action film, a la Only God Forgives, or... Um, um. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, Refn's involved, so I'm, I'm interested. You know, at the very least, I'm interested. Um, this is cool. IFC is bringing back Night Flight. Night Flight was a sort of block of programming USA used to do. Um, Night Flight turned into sort of Up All Night, if you remember the Gilbert Gottfried Rhonda Shear thing. So, um. Uh, it was this block of programming in which you'd, they'd, they'd have short films, they'd have movies, they'd have music videos, and it was kind of a spin on, um, Up All Night was kind of a spin on the old horror host formula. So, uh, Night Flight was that without the personality. Now it was just the Night Flight logo and here's another video and, and here's here's an episode of this and here's this movie and movies were always really super cheesy, super 80s and very much like VHS fodder. Um, but they're bringing it back and they're bringing it back um, uh, in April. It'll air at 1 a.m. and that's kind of cool. Um, I, I'd be down for that. I love the idea of that. It's a way of it's like the horror host thing. It's like I don't have anything to do on a Friday night. Well, at least I can tune in to the, to a party and and we're going to watch a movie. I'm not going to watch a movie with anyone but the guy, you know, the horror host. Um and it and it forms this great bond and this great sort of way of sharing fandom without having to be there, you know. So, yeah, I'm kind of into that. I would love to see more of that. I would love to see um uh that happen on other formats like let's say crackle or 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 like live youtube or what have you you know you it's the ability to share the night with someone 
Very cool. Moving on to trailers. Um, first one's called Gray Matter. Um, I'm going to describe this as sort of the hidden meets laser blast. <laughs> you know, laser blast. Um, it was on MST3K. There's a great Ivan Press comic series based on it now. Um, but it looks like this something lands on Earth and it in, in quote unquote infects these people and they change their personalities and like there's a sidearm uh, gauntlet thing that they have that fires this laser blast or whatever. Anyway, so it's about this this thing. Reminds me very the trailer reminded me very much of the hidden and um, and laser blast. Uh, kind of a up next kind of a kids comedy ish called The House with Clocks in Its Walls. Uh, Jack Black, Kate Blanchett, and um, it, this is going to sound odd, but it, it, the the feel I get off of this is uh, uh, Goosebumps meets Lucio Fulci's House of Clocks. <laughs> and I know that sounds like fucking weird, but um, it's Goosebumps because that's the feel of the film. It's very comedic and very like, oh, the Invisible Force grabbed this kid by the ankles and is dragging him across the floor. Um, it's that kind of fun and goofiness and Jack Black overacting uh, in a house that is has involved a lot of clocks, hence the title, a lot of clocks in its walls. And the, the clocks seem to be gatekeeping something magical. So, looks fun, looks good for the family. I think um, I think it's going to make a ton of money, you know, whether, whether we want it to or not. Uh, next up, a movie called Kodachrome. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen, Jason Sudeikis, Ed Harris. Ed Harris plays this famous photographer artist dude who's kind of a dick. And um, uh, him and his son, and I think it's son's girlfriend slash wife, are going across country in a, in a convertible. And it's just about them reacting. And it brings up a lot of shit about, you know, father-son things and son-and-father things and... The wife trying to be accepted by the father and to bridge the gap between the two. It looks really good. If you love Ed Harris, you know, you're already in the bag for this. Um, yeah, I, I'm into it. I think this looks good. Uh, coming up next, uh, horror comedy, kind of a killer in the store movie called Massacre on Isle 12. Super low budget, but very, very cool. Um, reminded me of Murder Party, if you know, if you know Murder Party. Uh, um, enjoyable, fun, very super, super gross. A lot of head smashes and and whatever, and it all involves. Maybe I throw in the um, uh, damn it. There's a Sam Raimi related thing, Scott Tappert related thing, and the name is escaping me, but it's about people caught in a grocery store. Um, God damn it! I hate when that happens. Uh. Up next, this is kind of cool. Film called Terminal, Margot Robbie and Simon Pegg. The feel on this film is kind of Brazil meets Blade Runner, um, almost with a little. If you remember sh the Rocky Horror sequel, Shock Treatment, a little of that sh thrown in. Um, uh, it was it was fun. I you know I uh, uh, it looks. Like a good midnight movie, 
uh, you know, like it might do well late at night when people have had a couple of drinks or that kind of thing, maybe in draft houses or whatever. But uh, yeah, this looks fun. Um, and then finally, a film called Warriors of the Future. It's a South Korean sci-fi dystopian thing. Um, this looks exactly like a South Korean sci-fi dystopian thing. Um, there's lots of gears falling into place and things like sort of transforming, and I mean that like transforming trademark, um, into other things and lots of human characters staring at the end of the camera and screaming. So yeah, uh, if it was on late at night, I might leave it on. Um, but you know, this is, I can name, you can name a thousand films like this. Um, moving on to what we've been watching, um, my wife and I checked out a documentary on Netflix called Haunters, The Art of the Scare, and um, it's a, it begins as kind of this sort of, you know, nostalgic, heartfelt, like, look at ho the home haunt, and then about a third of the way in, it takes this weird side road into extreme haunts. And, um, yeah, it got really problematic, uh, watching people justify just despicable behavior. And I don't care how you want to, and I'm happy to have anyone from the haunt industry, the extreme haunt industry, I'm happy to have anybody from that industry on the show, so, and I'll debate the topic. But, um, yeah, I just don't see the point of it. I just don't see the, the, uh, the worth of it, and all I can see is is downside. Um, people in these extreme haunts are, are getting assaulted, and they're getting, you know, really worked over. Um, there are signs, you watch the footage, and there are signs of people in distress, and that's what this is. And yeah, and you know, yeah, you know, metal, it's cool, and blah, 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 but some of these people that I saw um, were really being, like, harmed. Um, and I don't think that's fun. I don't think that's funny. So, uh, I, I guess if you're into haunting and that kind of deal, this is, this is, might be something for you. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I was a little PO'd by it all. Um, because I, because I love the, the genre and I think that there are ways to handle what they, these people are trying to do. And I just don't think this is, this is the way to do it. Um, and it's and it's it's a it's a it's a niche for some really dangerous behavior. So um, there's that. Moving on to books, man. I am still reading that Don Hamilton, Death of a Citizen. It's great. It's Don Hamilton. Come on, it's Matt Helm. Uh, I, I I did hear that we talked about about it, but I I heard that they're mo still moving forward with the Matt Helm movies with uh, a new round of Matt Helm movies with uh, Bradley Cooper, um, who own who owns the rights, who went and bought them with his Bradley Cooper money. So, um, uh, yeah, uh, doing that. Uh, music, uh, lots of stuff. Uh, gonna go Joey Altruda, Booze, Babes, and Bongos. It's kind of, it's a surf record. Go fig, tiki, surfy record. And it's good. Um, it, it, it's not, um, gonna be your go-to surf record, but it's a fine, it's a fine, fine record. Uh, I found that they had reissued an, uh, an old re Residence album called Fingerprints. And if you're into the Residence, they're a very analog band. You're either into them or you're not. And um, I kind of am. I saw them live years ago. And like I 
got to be Jesus mid 80s at the Kapuki in San Francisco um, but they were great uh, and they're a band that does what they do really really well but what they do can be polarizing um, another sort of tiki lounge record called Voodoo by a guy named Robert Drasnin um, it's it all, it's almost one of those ultra lounge records if you know that there's a big series of those where they do a lot of these like compilation records of old songs and, and um, old, old performances and uh, new. Uh, and then finally, I'm going to recommend um, uh, these last two. Neil Young, and it's, they're called Promise of the Real. It's the soundtrack to Daryl Hannah's directorial debut. It's on Netflix now. It's a movie called Paradox. stars Neil Young and Willie Nelson. So... Um, this is the soundtrack to it, and it's and it's it's a Neil Young record. Don't fool yourself thinking anything else. But it's a good Neil Young record because it's not a Neil Young record. It's a it, the songwriting is definitely Neil Young, um, but the performance it, it, it's it's different. It's not you know that heavy over modulated guitar and and his kind of singing. You know there was. Um, there, there's some really good stuff on this record. There's also some stuff that's not so good, but um, there's you find the high points, you throw it onto a mix or a rotation um, playlist, and, you, and you're good. And then finally, kind of the pick of my of the week was is this record by a guy named Pablo Nouvel, very solely jazzy pop soul kind of feel to it. The record is called Wired. Um, you can find it on YouTube, some songs of it on YouTube, but the whole record's really, really good. Um, really, really enjoyed that. And as far as comedy goes, um, just three this week. Uh, Pat Thornton has a record out called Chicken, and that's, that's quite good. Um, um, uh, it's not, uh, you know, top ten list of all time, but it's definitely saw a solid set by a good comic. Uh, Dwayne Duke Shame Flashbacks. This was um, this was this was also very very good. Uh, and then pick of the week, believe it or not, is a guy named and I'm not kidding on this one. His name is Doodoo Brown, <laughs> and the record's called Live from the Atlanta Comedy Theater. He's uh, 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 he's very much. A uh, he's a black comedian. He plays to primarily, I would guess, black clubs, and um, he uh, uh, he was really fun. It's really really funny. It's dirty, um, but sometimes the best some of the best comedy is dirty. Um, so there's that. Uh, that's it. So um, um, yeah, sorry that Langley was sick, and uh, uh, we look forward to having him come back tomorrow. Or my um, come back next week. Um, Next week, I don't know what we have. Um, it's it's hard to talk about upcoming guests because uh, these we, we catch people on the fly a lot of times, and and um, uh, everything gets scheduled, and then things things sort of fall apart, and we end up having to reschedule. But we'll get everyone on in in due course. Um, thanks again for listening. Um, please tell a friend. Let's we're trying to get our numbers up. Um, and uh, we really do appreciate you, t you guys taking the time and making us a part of your 
week. Uh, so for the Bonus Material Podcast, I'm Tom Carnell, and uh, we'll see you next time. Stay scary.